0: Welcome to Six Pack Discussions, where Cody and Jared take on the biggest, most talked about headlines with logic, passion, and a six-pack of beer. If you're
1: listening, we challenge you to take an unbiased view of the world, because we know these conversations are complicated. So sit down, crack a beer, and welcome a new perspective. Okay, guys, coming in with a new episode from Six Pack Discussions, got Cody and Jared here. We are drinking... 10 barrel brewing co apocalypse IPA. Jared kind of made a funny little joke before we started <laughs> drinking this. He said, Uh, it's funny that we're talking about recessions and we're drinking apocalypse <laughs> IPA. Is there any type of connection? I don't, I didn't believe there was when I picked out this apocalypse IPA, but what I would say is that if a recession lasts long enough, you probably are going to be in an apocalypse-type situation. Yeah. Um, And I think a lot of people kind of forget how thin the layer of civilization civilization is. And a majority of civilization has to do with the economy.
0: I mean, I wouldn't even say the majority.
1: Almost all. Almost all. There's there's some things about civilization, you know. I'm sure there's got to be a couple outliers, but I
0: would say... Almost all, I'll live with that. But you
1: don't think about that on a daily basis. You think about, hey, I'm going to hang out with my family. I'm going to hang out with my friends. But meanwhile, you're hanging out in a home that has electricity. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, you're driving a vehicle that requires gasoline. And so anything to do with the economy kind of affects how we live in a civilized society.
0: I I almost think there's unrealized by by the masses the effects that your everyday life is predicated on the economy's health. It, is that, is that a fair way to say it? Yeah, hundred percent. I think the way to you you
1: kind of forget how comfortable you are. I think that might be
0: the way to say it. Think about it. Like, we are incredibly fortunate. Bingo. And you don't realize how fortunate you are until the economy turns to shit.
1: Exactly. The economy turns to shit. Um, Power is expensive. Power may not be turned on. And that's apocalypse situation, right? Um, and that's why I say it's there's a thin layer between civilization and chaos or apocalypse type situation. That's so uh, recessions we're talking about today, <clears throat> if anybody has not under- noticed. Jared, do, do you have a definition? Yeah, yeah. I'm actually
0: going to pull up the definition according to Vesipedia. Okay. Um, so a recession is a significant, widespread, and prolonged downturn in economic activity. A popular rule of thumb is that two consecutive quarters of decline in GDP constitute a recession. Recessions typically produce declines in economic output, consumer demand, and employment. So really, the, the, probably the most commonly accepted term and whenever the, the media starts touting a, a possible recession is looming is that popular rule of thumb is is two quarters of a decline in GDP. Right? So, all right, that's a lot of words. What's the so what? Why do we care about a decline in GDP? Why do we care about a decline in market? What is the so what? And in short, unfortunately, regardless of the Warren Buffett philosophy that basically says, you know, buy when others sell, that's just not how the masses think, right? So whenever you have this mass exodus of investment into these publicly traded companies, whenever you have this mass exodus in consumerism, honestly, whenever people are not necessarily consuming as much as they normally do, it's incredibly dangerous. Um, banks don't necessarily want to lend because they are unsure about the economic future, so therefore people have less money. Um, people are reluctant to go and buy into excess, which is, you know, if you listen to our consumer episode, it can be good, but also whenever companies are relying, relying thank you for that word, relying on growth, right, from an employment standpoint, et cetera, it's pretty dangerous. I mean, it's it's very really bleak, actually. It's a bleak future whenever you stop growing. And people start getting ugly. You know, houses clearly decline. Employment starts going up. Um, therefore, the government feels the need to step in. I said employment. I'm sorry. Unemployment. Thank you for correcting that. There are very few, if any, I can't think of any on the top of my head, things that are good about a recession.
1: Yeah, no, I, I think there's might be a couple of little things here and there that are good about a recession. It it probably uh, might correct some market issues, right? It might also correct some possible companies that maybe have taken advantage of the certain current situation. You know, when, when you have a booming economy, which we've been having for the last you know two years, and, and honestly throughout the entire 2010s, right, ever since the last recession, it, it has been a bull market to the ninth extent. I think a lot of people have been riding the market hard and kind of have forgotten what it means to see a standard market or a recession, right? You go 10 years with a bull market
0: and you're like, this is the only life I remember. So, so guys, just to put that in context, there are, you know, the, the common terms is uh, you're going to hear a lot about bulls and bears. Bear markets are obviously, you know, these down markets, bulls. Exactly the opposite. You don't know, have to worry that people are riding high, people are feeling good. A bear market, it, it's a reasonable assumption. You take any investment class, any investment class in America, and they will tell you, as far as calculating a rate of returns, whenever you're talking about the lifetime of a, of a portfolio, anywhere between 6% to 8%. Would you say, would you say that's fair? Mm-hmm. You know, that's 6 to 8%. Guys, over the last, shit, three, four years, we have seen double digits upwards of 20%. Plus, and that's just, that's not, you know, getting lucky on an individual stock or two. That's just tracking the S&P 500. Entire market. Right. So, people don't, in recent history, over the last 24, 36 months, people don't understand what a standard bull market is.
1: Yeah, and it, and it creates a um, unreasonable expectation. Mm-hmm. So, right now, we're currently going through recession type of feelings. And everybody thinks that the world is falling. Uh, Jared... I don't know if you saw this, but how many recessions have, you know, America, how many recessions in the last hundred years have we had? Is this, is this standard or is this out of the ordinary?
0: No, it's very cyclical, man. This right? is not out of the ordinary
1: at all. Exactly. Like every, I think you could say in the last hundred years, years, every I five years, probably every, you know, five to eight years, okay. there's going to be a recession of some sort. So let's just say that we've had over the last hundred years, 12 10, to 20, 12. Yeah. Yeah. 12 to exactly. 20. Yeah, yeah. So let's say we've had that many recessions. Um, and some recessions may last multiple years right? The 2007 the great recession, that yeah. one, you well, the big one, of course, great yeah. recession, the recent one that everybody can kind of remember during the housing crisis in 2007 and eight, um, that one was a two, three year recession. That was massive, right? Uh, the recent recession is really about two quarter or sorry, the pandemic or COVID related one. That was two quarters of recession. One of the shortest, pan, uh, recessions on in history. So recessions can either last for you know multiple years, which, of course, is detrimental to unemployment, economy growth, GDP, overall morale, or maybe a couple of months where we just feel like, man, inflation's higher than normal, lending is more challenging, and job growth is more challenging. And then all of a sudden, it kind of rebounds. And so recessions can kind of come in
0: multiple flavors, you could say. So you know what's really weird about recessions? is you oftentimes don't realize that you're in a recession until a quarter or two down. 100%. That's just kind of strange to me, right? There's no real the kind of start or end date almost. I was just about to say, the lack of... And again, this is just coming from a very data-spoiled environment like we are with a search of a Google or or what have you. But you don't really know until you're past it. 180 or, or days. It. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's a long time. You know what's really interesting about this recession? And, and honestly... The current one we're talking about, or well, right now that we're in, exactly. Well, that's what's really strange is, is we've we've turned a basic economic term, term. I'm sorry, term, term, into a political stance.
1: Am yeah. I wrong? No, 100.
0: Like, but like people are thinking like only Republicans think they're in recession. Like, no, that that's an economic term. Here are the facts of the situation, and then you have Democrat leaders are saying, no, we're not in, no, we're not in uh, recession. Hell, we have we have a uh, newscasters right now that are blaming Democrats for educating people on the word inflation. Yeah, I saw they, they said, they said inflation is a Republican term. Yeah. So what, what the hell are we doing guys? Why is it? Do you think that basic economic terms are becoming politicized?
1: Yeah. I wouldn't say any, anything that has to do with the market or economy. These, these are just de- basic and basic uh, definitions. Um, to your point, I, I think even like Wikipedia and and uh, a couple of other definition websites kind of changed their name or even kind of shifted the words around around the word inf, uh, recession, which is very interesting. They started using more of the UK definition for recession, where we've had the same definition in the US for you know hundred years, where it's two consecutive quarters. Done. That's it. Irrefutable.
0: Yep. Two quarters of negative GDP growth. You see a minus sign for two quarters. You're in yeah. a recession.
1: It's like, hey, two plus two, four.
0: Well, well does exactly. it equal
1: exactly? And whenever you add some kind of difference there, I get it. Definition, definition can slightly there's a change. Gr- there's
0: gray in a lot of shit. Yeah. But whenever you operated, and it's not like I'm against change because I feel like hopefully over the last, you know, 70 some odd episodes, hell, you and I, I, f- I don't want to speak for you, but I feel like there have been numerous times where I've gone in to oh, a yeah. podcast thinking that I was going to think X and I actually ended up thinking X plus Y. Hundred percent, right? Hundred percent. But these are these are terms. There's no value gained by changing the definitions all of a sudden.
1: No, and it's also harder to compare recession to recession, right? Um, if you change the definition now, all the recessions in the past can't be changed because those were based on the center, different boundaries. So it becomes harder to compare if if every def, if every recession was based on two quarters of negative gain, and then this one is based on only f- or on four quarters of negative gain. Well, unfortunately, you may not have a recession now, but why do people maybe have less job options? Why did supply and demand change?
0: So you know what's weird about the job? Because, you know, even in my definition, oftentimes you see an increase in unemployment. Yeah. Why do you think we haven't seen that? I understand there's a lot of talk, and, and again, I, it's, it has been highly politicized. So depending on what news source you listen to, hell, I can't even confirm if today we're in a recession. Can you?
1: No, actually, no, it's weird. Yeah, everybody has kind of mixed reviews. Like, it felt like everybody thought we were in a recession last month. And then right now, we're going into Q4 of 2022. So it is
0: independent of what quarter we're in in the year. It is just two consecutive quarters. It doesn't matter if it's Q4, Q1, or Q2, Q3. Okay.
1: Yeah. And so it did say that, you know, based on the data, it said that we had a recession this year. It doesn't. But where there's confusion is, are we currently in one? Um, that's what I was kind of it was challenging for me to find. Now, the unemployment stuff. so you're mentioning why have we not seen that? My only theory is that in general, during the pandemic, we had a lot of people that you know were not, stopped being employed, right? we We had a lot of people that were collecting unemployment and things like that. And I didn't know this, but there has apparently been an increase in younger generations moving back into homes with their parents. And after I believe what 90 days or 100 days of stop searching for a job, you're not included in the unemployment number. So I think what's kind of happened
0: is there's I been it was 30, but okay, yeah, whatever it is 30 days. There, there is a number of days yeah. that you stop getting included in the number.
1: And I think what's happened is we have a lot of people that don't have as many bills as they used to because they were able to. Um, Essentially, move back in with their parents. That multi generational. Bingo. And those individuals have stopped searching for a job. So they're pulled out of that number. I think unemployment numbers are probably higher than they are currently statistically
0: show, sharing because of that kind of loophole. But hold on. We, we can't make an argument for changing the definition in one side of our mouth and then change the definition of the unemployment rate in the other side of our mouth just make our points. No, I'm not saying to be cognizant of what we're doing here, right? Yeah, I'm not changing the
1: definition. I'm just saying that would be my only theory of why the unemployment rate hasn't been following the uh, recession.
0: Okay, but I guess my my original pushback is back in 08, you know, that was an irrefutable recession, Mm -hmm. right? It was was followed by the, I'm sorry, it was started by the housing boom and then everything kind of like fell into place after that, unfortunately the unemployment rate reached double digits. Yeah, 10%. So why is, why were people not moving back in with mommy and daddy or grandma and grandpa in 2010 versus now to where the unemployment rate has been fairly stable and stably low?
1: Yeah, so we had, this is weird. We we normally don't have two recessions within like almost a year of each other. And this is what's kind of happened, right? In 2020, we had a two-quarter recession, right? So pandemic hit in March two quarters of straight recession. A lot of layoffs, a lot of folks, you know, quitting their jobs because of possible covid exposure things like that. So I think there's kind of a a short-term effect here where people didn't have jobs, but they were able to receive funds for the very first time in history from the government, the stimulus checks. Bingo. Stimulus checks. So they were able to and also rent and student loan forgiveness, right? They were able to stop paying Did you see that that was unconstitutional? Yeah. They just declared that today. I think Texas federal uh, judges just declared or, or won the uh, essentially the battle there against President Biden's recent um, executive order declaring debt. Do you, do you think it was actually
0: found out today? Or do you think it was found out? They there is, Monday. I
1: guess there is some kind of conspiracy
0: there around him. Hey, you can't refute the timing.
1: I would say, tex- if it was a Texas judge, they probably would have wanted to announce it prior to the elections yesterday. Or two days ago, so I I don't know if the the I think it just was going through the normal process, and unfortunately they if I was a if I was a Texas judge they probably would have announced it at the second they had the answer, but they probably didn't. If it was maybe a California judge or a New York judge who was looking for to hold some information, I would say maybe
0: it's a little bit different.
1: But I okay. think Texas probably would have
0: tried to fair pushback. I, I was just reading it today, and I was like, yeah. I've almost would have rather than wait a month yeah. to announce this.
1: It makes it conspiracy good. Matter in different
0: exactly. You just you just add. Few. I wouldn't consider myself a conspiracy theorist, but also I look at that, I'm like, hmm, seventy two hours after election day. Just yeah, interesting.
1: Well, definitely would probably lean some votes right because if you imagine somebody saying, "Hey, I'm going to write off your debt if you vote for me." That's kind of... You're, you're buying votes. It's, yeah, it's unfortunately... We've had an I episode know. kind of about student debt, not specifically about this one executive order, but what Jared's mentioning is that President Biden recently um, signed an executive order stating that he will relieve up to $20,000 in student debt for individuals that have uh, student loans. Uh, and if... You know, luckily for us, you know, we were able to pay through our college and, and so have you guys really figured this out. <sighs> there is a lot of pushback from individuals that have paid off their debts. And if I had the debt, I probably would be voting differently to make sure that I continue getting my debt forgiven. Mm-hmm. So, to Jared's point, paying off some of the debt. Mm-hmm. Okay, so going back to recession. Yeah. Set, um, you kind of ca- caught me off track because you said, uh, "Do you think it was announced after on purpose?" Mm-hmm. What was I saying prior to that?
0: Uh, my original question was, "Why do you think we saw?" Oh yeah, and I was these, telling you, these hikes in unemployment back in 08 Yeah, but not, right and now. we didn't see the hikes now. Yeah, and I, and I was saying I think because the
1: recessions are kind of close to each other, and there was also a large government stimulus in between.
0: So because. People almost were a little bit more, I hate to say this, it's kind of contradictory to my actual thought process, proactively removing themselves from the unemployment field, therefore the number really ever increased.
1: Well, if, let's say, let's say COVID hits. Okay. uh, March 2020. Got it. And you're part of a company that unfortunately kind of has to work in person. So you're part of the layoff group. And so you kind of go, holy shit, how am I going to make rent? Well- The government came through and they said, hey, guys, we're going to go ahead and put a rent memorandum, memorandum, I think it's called, where you no longer have to pay rent. Referendum. Referendum, I'm sorry. You no longer have to pay rent until this COVID thing stops. Okay, so I don't have to pay rent. I can live in my house for free. This goes on for 22, 24 months. So my, my uh, my largest outcome of cash, right? My largest outpour of cash every month, which was my rent or my mortgage, either one, does not have to be paid. In most cases, this is rent. So these people don't have to pay their rent. And then also, every couple of months uh, during that time, you know, people were receiving stimulus checks. So you're probably not going to be looking for a job as aggressively as you would have if you didn't receive checks and you didn't have to get free rent. And so what probably happened there is, is that you weren't part of the unemployment number And so that's probably, that's my theory to this entire situation, why we have not seen a a large unemployment increase. What do you think about that theory? Solid?
0: Rocky? No, I think it's actually pretty solid. Um, I think it's a horrible, very un-American thing to voluntarily take yourself out of the workforce. Um, I almost think it's a flaw in the statistic. But then as I was just saying, you know, a few minutes ago, I can't, I can't change the definition of an economic term just to fit my opinion. So that's, that's why I'm pretty conflicted. If I'm being honest,
1: hundred percent. Okay. Um, just before we get into some kind of pros and cons with recessions, which I don't know if there are pros and cons, but let's get into those. Uh, but before we get into that, any other like kind of data points, um, we went through, there's been 10 plus different recessions in the last hundred years. We've kind of talked about them. You know, they're, they're cyclical, right? Every seven, 10 years we have one, uh, Anything to do with maybe, what do they affect? Stock market, individuals, families, income levels. Do you do do any research around that kind of stuff?
0: Yeah, so um, I don't have the exact statistics, but as far as the the percentages, I'm within range. So about the top 20, so I'm sorry, 20% of the population impacts or owns, I'm sorry, about 90% of the stock market. Okay. Right? O- only about one in five people actually own stocks. Okay. So with that, there there are certain people that do take advantage of this, of the clearance sale or buy one, get one half off sale, whenever the stock market is just taking a crap. But there are the masses that continue to sell and sell big. So then you just continue to see these, these steep declines. And whenever you have your top 20%, of population stop putting in money in the market you stifle innovation you increase layoffs because then they have less free cash flow less investment etc so that's where you start seeing this almost this avalanche effect it continues to grow so honestly it it's hard it, it's hard from a momentum standpoint to continue building 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 this this economic crash because you're stopping the money coming into the business.
1: Yeah. And just maybe an example here, which is kind of an, cause I, I honestly even listening to Jared here and kind of understanding it, it's, it's complicated. It's confusing to me. Um, and so maybe, maybe there's a hard example. Uh, Jared, let, let's say you own one Tesla stock. Got it. Right. So Tesla, the guys that make the cars, you own one Tesla stock, which trades at, let's say for average, a hundred dollars, right? I know it's very, price, know, just, just hundred bucks. Arguments like, Right now. Um, Jared holds that stock. It's a little piece of paper, right, mm-hmm. electronically. And it says that Jared is, you know, 0.1% shareholder of Tesla. Very, very low, but yes, he is 0.1%.
0: It's a pickup line at a bar. I'm a part owner in Tesla.
1: Exactly. So, um, great. Jared said, hey, I'm gonna, going to help Tesla with investment money. I'm going to give him 100 bucks to go ahead and, and go help me get, get me $110 back. So, give me a 10% gain on my 100% or $100 uh, investment. Now, at some point, he says, you know what? I'm, I'm done holding Tesla. Uh, I've, I've received a couple of dollars. Cody, you know, me, I say, hey, Jared, um, would you mind? I want to buy that Tesla stock from you. Uh, I'm willing to give you 110 bucks." Okay. So you go ahead and sell that. Boom. Well, I'll okay. make a 10% return. Bingo. Now, Tesla now is $110 right? So they just gained value, right? That they're able to leverage for their overall R&D, for their investment in their company, whatever it may be. Now, in a good market, that's what you want to see. You want to see people come into the market and say, I'll give you more than what you bought it for. Yep. Growth. You're happy. I'm happy because I feel like I'm going to buy it at a point where I'm going to receive now $120 in, say, a year. And so, in a general bull market or a general growing market, investors come in, additional investors come in, investors with more money come into the market and purchase things for more money than they were purchased originally for. Agreed? Mm-hmm. What happens during a recession is Cody, myself, does not show up.
0: To buy that share for 110
1: Exactly. No one shows up. And now Jared goes like this, holy shit.
0: Maybe I can break even. 100? Any takers? Exactly. Any takers? Shit. 90. Any takers? Any takers, please. I need the money. Exactly. And so I just wanted to kind of clear through that, is
1: what happens actually in the overall market is that 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 you don't have any people that want to partake in in purchasing that, and you start getting a little bit more kind of... uh, I don't know, scared? What's the term there? You kind of get more liberal with your price point. You're like, I'm all right with taking $99 at this point because I don't want to take any more of a loss. And so it starts kind of a rollover effect of people purchasing things for a better deal and not as many people coming to the market. So I want to kind of, I don't know if that clears it up or not for our listeners, but unfortunately, it's it's, it's complicated because you don't... it's weird to say that you own part of the company. Even you kind of made a joke about it.
0: It is a joke, but it is a, I mean, technically you, purchase, you do. Yes. You purchase stock in a company. Yeah. You literally are a part owner. Irrefutable. Well, hundred yeah. percent. Now one other thing happens.
1: We're talking about the stock market. Great. Jared, you talked about 20% of the of the market actually is in there. What about the other 80%? What about normal consumers? What about everybody else?
0: during a recession.
1: Okay, well, I'm not I'm not partaking in the stock market. Does a recession not affect me then?
0: No, a recession does. Um well, in short, your job could potentially be in jeopardy again because like I said, whenever you have less investment, you have less opportunity for R&D, so therefore department gets shrink, they get right-sized. I think is the right So term. let's
1: say Tesla is in that situation yep.
0: where nobody shows up to the day
1: on the day to buy $110 mm-hmm. and you as an owner, what do you do? What what does the board, what does the owners of the companies, what do they start doing? It's Layoffs. not.
0: Layoffs. Why? Well, I have less money coming in.
1: And I need to justify right size. Yeah. my profit margin, right? So I need to make sure, hey guys, oh shit, we don't have the extra cheap money mm-hmm. coming in through Wall Street, right? It's cheap money. Isn't it, it is. Right? Least some expensive money you can do. Exactly. So it's cheap money. We don't have this money coming through the door anymore. And if we're not extremely profitable at our current size of company, we have to go ahead and take a look and say, ooh, we have a thousand too many employees. Mm-hmm. We get it. It's going to be harder for our
0: other 5,000 employees, but we're going to go ahead and lay off. Mass layoffs. I mean, hell, the tech company, I'm sorry, the tech company, the tech industry, I wish it was just the company, They're the tech industry, massive layoffs. Right now. Mass. I mean, we're talking 10 plus percent. Meta, which is Facebook. Facebook. Uh, believe what are they like 13% of their I entire thought it was 15, okay 13% of their entire guys, workforce. guys whenever you have hundreds or thousands there, there are thousands yeah. of employees like meta 13% we're talking thousands of people
1: yeah I'm going to be laid off um you know Twitter of course uh just yeah, did 25% this. Google is doing this yes you have a lot of companies that what the market is stating during a recession are overvalued all right they're 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 not worth the current rate that they're being traded at. Mm-hmm. So they need to make that up and say, hey, you know what? We're gonna reduce our cost structure. The easiest way to reduce cost structure, labor. So guys, just just helping you guys out, maybe and and even me and Jared, we're talking through this. This helps our kind of argument because it's complicated. It stuff. is,
0: it's super complicated. Um, you know, the whole recession idea. One of the pros is, and and the pros are limited, and this is even a stretch, but this is honestly how, this is honestly how Britt and I are thinking, of it. and we'll get into this a little bit more, you know, now that we're cracking into our second beer. But uh, my wife and I, we we just had a very serious conversation, as far as about over the last two months, her and I have really sat down and really started penciling down some numbers, if you will, and we've actually made the commitment as a family next year, we've been incredibly fortunate. We've done some fun trips. We've had some really fun things to celebrate. And next year, we've literally committed to a hard number for vacations to where we're not just frivolously saying just if a friend invites us to something, we're automatically going to say yes. Because right now, we've worked it out with our financial advisor saying, hey, you hold us to this number and once this number runs out from a, finance, uh, from a uh, vacation standpoint, we're done because we are committed to dumping money in the stock market. Because right now, one of the many pros is I made kind of a joke and a crappy joke, admittedly, is this buy one, get one half off sale that's going on right now with stock market. Because there is truly money to be made. Guys, there are a lot of very, very risk averse. And I understand I'm very fortunate with my age, but the reality of it, I'm not. I'm not going to retire for a minimum under 20 years from now. 30 years from now, right? There is no 20 and or 30 year point in the history of the stock market where it didn't make money. You can't find it. Not the most pessimistic person can point me out a 20 period 20 year period time where you don't make money. It doesn't exist. So right now, we have made the conscious decision to take advantage of this recession. Yeah. So again, a very glass half full point of view, but I just wanted to highlight an, an irrefutable highlight. If you do have the cash, guys, we just went through a massive upsurge in home values. If you are fortunate enough to own a home over the last couple of years, you've seen five figures plus oftentimes increase in your home. There's financial products and services at your bank or credit union like a home equity line of credit, like a cash out refinance, et cetera. There are tools out there where you can be very strategic and turn this this bleak market into a future long-term for your family.
1: No, yeah, and the cool thing with the recession is you need people like Jared essentially thinking through this because those are the individuals that actually carry us out of recessions, right? As soon as people start reinvesting in the market, that actually, that actually is how you get out faster. Um, that's what was the biggest problem in the 2007 uh, recession is that the market collapsed and people were so skittish or sheepish, really, you could say, right? Where they they essentially said, "I'm not going to invest until my neighbor invest." And when you have that mentality, no one invest. And so the interesting thing is, is that there was more millionaires created during that recession than any other recession ever because the amount of individuals that were invested were so so rare. That anybody that did was able to get everything—not buy one, get one half off, but buy one, get three free, which so, is so, crazy. So,
0: would you say you endorse the strategy? Like, hey, like now is the time. If you have the free cash flow, and guys, oh, yeah. people get often intimidated with, oh my gosh, the stock market. I'm I'm not a millionaire. I can't afford the stock market. You can buy an index fund that tracks the S and P five hundred. Three bucks, five bucks, ten bucks. You you can literally buy fractions of shares. Yeah. If you have an extra $50 a month. So, actually, actually. Dude, let, we, let's we put, it, let's put a pause on it, but let's pick this up after the beer. We have to hold each other accountable. The question I want answered is why are people so intimidated from investing?
1: And let's talk about that after the beer, right? And how it affects recession.
0: Of course. Okay. All right, guys. So, as Cody introduces this beer, this is 10 barrel brewing company's Apocalypse IPA. <laughs> this was a happy accident. Talking about the apocalypse within recession. Uh, This is a West Coast style IPA. Kind of weird. It says uh, "drink beer outside."
1: That's that's their thing. Tim Barrel Brinko. Yeah, that's kind of got a
0: fun mountain biker going off a gnarly little jump there. Any any fun story or is this just the government warning?
1: Nope, just the government warning. Don't drink beer if you're pregnant. We got a six point eight alcohol per volume. (sighs) White can, big black text.
0: What do you think, Jerry? I like to make you always go first. I know. I got you first on the last time, even though we were wildly opposite. So this beer, it's. I'm I, being honest, I think it's really bland. Yeah. I don't get a lot out of this, so I'm going to give it a very middle-of-the-road score as a 2.5. Okay. Because I don't think there's anything to not like, but I don't think there's anything to like. I just think this is a beer
1: yeah it feels like it was made in an apocalypse with like some you know basic shit it doesn't taste like you had like unlimited resources to make a good beer you know what i'm saying like it's just like eh i don't i don't i'll drink it i guess if my 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 ac doesn't work
0: yeah i mean i I guess i'll drink it but this is this tastes like uh, i think this is a heartier like coors light you know what's funny is
1: would you drink this beer warm let's say it's apocalypse time Let's say this thing is at normal temperature. Right now, it's what? 72 degrees outside. So this beer would be 72 degrees. Would you drink it? And this is the apocalypse? Yeah, we're in the
0: apocalypse. Oh, yeah. 100%. Okay, would you would you say it's good? No. <sighs> no. Like I said, I'm, I'm going to stand firm on that 2.5. There's nothing good or nothing bad in my opinion. Yeah, I fair. say 2.2. 2.2? Two. Two, two. It's, it's not little. good to me. D- does, it, does it taste bad or does it taste like nothing to you? Um...
1: It doesn't have a good taste. Uh, yeah, it doesn't have a good taste to me. Like, I'm drinking, I'm like, eh, this is like... Like, it kind of has like a bitter taste almost. Like, the back of my tongue almost is strongly affected. Every time I take a sip, I'm like, oh, this is bittery. Mm. And I, I I don't know if I like that. I think, you know, IPAs are supposed to be bitter, but this is more so than normal. And for a six seven, I don't think it's worth it.
0: You know, it's not like it's like a nine zero. No, unless you're flirting with those high nines, low tens, you should not be bitter to me. Exactly. You should focus on flavor. Exactly.
1: Okay. So sorry, guys, at uh, Tin Brewing Beer Company. No, we had one, another one last time. I think we had the Crush from you guys. And I I liked it. Jared didn't. Oh, like it. that raspberry um, sour. Mm. I liked it. Um, you guys, are, you have that really was a little a, too much sour. Uh, really, for you. a spectrum of beers, right? The sour, the IPAs here, the stronger ones. Um, shout out to you guys, though. Heck. I like companies that make a whole bunch of different kind of cool oh, stuff. Yeah, so, fun. um, Tim Tim Brewing, is it Tim Barrel Brewing Co? Yep. So, sorry, um, nice job. Yeah, yeah.
0: Better luck next time.
1: Yeah, we'll, we'll buy a six pack here <laughs> and there, but we're not going to buy them every week. Yeah, unless you sponsor us. <laughs> so, long. your question: um, Should you be investing, or what was the question? The prompt: Jared
0: Jones. Oh, and you broke up on I mean, they there, what?
1: What was the uh, prompt that you <laughs> provided me? You said... Uh,
0: oh, yeah. Why are people intimidated mm. by the stock market, and how does that impact a recession? Yeah, so I think there is... Very opinionated, yeah, obviously. Yeah, I think but. there's
1: two reasons. The first one is, is that... First off, is it's it's probably a generational issue, meaning that did the previous generation, your parents,
0: do it? right? So most- Outside of the 401ks, but hell, uh, a lot of our parents, mine were not fortunate enough, I don't think either one of yours, uh, uh, your mom, um, pension, that's kind of like our parents' generation and older, yeah, to where they didn't have to worry about a 401k or the stock market or anything like that, right?
1: Yeah, and I think a lot of people kind of do exactly what their parents did. Like, I think you're learning of how finances work, is highly dependent on how your parents bring you up. Now there are outliers, of course, that learn from you know possibly college. Now most people that go to college, I would say the minority takes any type of finance or financial literacy type classes.
0: Yes, finance and accounting suck.
1: Yeah, the majority do not take those classes. So really, uh, a vast majority of Americans, their upbringing promotes or does not promote any type of. Uh, stock market type of investment. So I would say that's number, reason number one.
0: Or maybe that's, let, let's say that's 60% of the reason. Okay, I love it. I mean, I, I'm perfectly aligned on that one. Okay, so reason number two,
1: I think up until recently, it's been fairly difficult to do.
0: I was actually going to bring up the fintechs. Yeah. And Robinhood and Acorns, etc. So I think
1: up until recently, um, I think a lot of people have thought, you know what, how much you know you, you do your google search let's say you're 22
0: years old you were in the 2000s got your first job right out of college yeah. you're making 40 grand a year
1: you're in, you're in the 2000s you're not you're not right now you're in the 2000s you look up apple stock right when they came out with the iphone oh my god 400 dollars a stock up a stock i don't have 400 dollars and wait i want to buy like 10 of these i don't have 4000 dollars I can't do it. Okay, well, shit. I guess the stock market's not for me. It's for
0: rich people only. If I can't do Apple, I can't do anything.
1: Well, exactly, right? You look up the, the, the products or the companies that you know, right? And so, unfortunately, most of the big brands, unfortunately unfortunately, are tech companies, right? Like, those are the ones that get a lot of face value. Now, if you looked up Walmart, $62, Home Depot, you know, 75 bucks. At that point in time, whatever it is, they're going to be a lot less. You might say, yeah, I can buy one stock. But a lot of people think, oh, wait, one stock. How much is that really going to provide me? And so I think what the issue there is, is that when you initially want to start kind of learning about the stock market, it feels almost unreachable because you look up individual stocks because that's where most people kind of believe they need to Start now. I think, to you, I think what you're going to state right now, and you can kind of elaborate on this. Recently, the last five years, maybe even ten years, the fintechs and the index fund have become prominent. I don't know if you want to elaborate on what those are.
0: <clears throat> yeah. No, no, no. So, so essentially, index fund. Uh, we alluded to earlier. Um, one of the more popular ones. Its ticker symbol is VOO. It's Vanguard's. Index fund that tracks the S&P 500. Um, What do you mean tracks? What is that? It takes the top 500 companies in America and it goes up and down with them essentially, right?
1: Yeah, it says, hey, you know what? Let's say say Apple is one of those top 500 companies and Apple is, let's say, 5% of the fund. It will make sure that when you put $100. 5%
0: goes to Apple. Bingo. Yep. So, and and what's kind of unique about index funds is you actually get to, it is literally one extra click. You click into it and you actually get to figure out all the various stocks that is in that index fund. Yeah. So, you know what's funny is I think, this is interesting because I didn't know I was going to make this point. I think it almost roots back into definitions. For recession? Hear me out. So, we were talking about how we can't, I, I actually explicitly said. I can't change the definitions of stuff just to fit my opinion. And I said that about 15 minutes ago. How intimidating. So let's say I am that 22-year-old and let's say I do save up that $400. I'm gonna buy that one share of Apple. I've been I've been eyeing this since I was 18 and I got my iPhone and I loved it. So I'm 22 years old. I finally mustered up $400. And then all of a sudden, day of, I'm opening up a, a brokerage on on Robinhood or Vanguard or Charles Schwab, whatever, whatever the platform doesn't matter. TD Ameritrade doesn't matter. And all of a sudden, I, I hear on the news, Apple announces a stock split. Oh, what 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 the hell? What what's a stock split? Hold on. So so what's going to happen to my four hundred dollars? Hold on. I'm going to go. I'm going to buy a four hundred dollar stock, and, and then it's going to go to hundred. What the, what the hell? Nope, nope, stock market is clearly not for me. I'll leave that to the Warren Buffetts of the world. You know like intimidating a stock split to someone who doesn't know what the hell that means? They don't realize that clearly that $400 now gets them four shares, but a stock split, I think it's a definition issue too, man. It's very similar. Whenever someone, like a, a lawyer or a doctor or fill in the blank, whenever you overcomplicate something, or overanalyze something to justify your worth, to justify the reason why you would pay a financial advisor 1%, to justify why this is clearly just for the elite, the top 20%, right? How intimidating. Let's say, I know you're a very financially savvy and financially literate person, so I know you know what a stock split means. But honestly, let, let's take our wives into account. Let's say they don't have us. Do you think, Anna, I I, I think I can feel confident, speaking for Brittany, I don't think she'd feel comfortable if she, all of a sudden she was saving up and all of a sudden the day she goes to buy XYZ stock and all of a sudden she reads an article that pops up on Instagram that XYZ company announces a stock split. I don't know if she's buying it.
1: No. Do you think that's an intimidating definition? Yeah, no. Definitely my wife, right? Like Anna, like, you know, she was a, she's a better saver than I am, right? Like, 100%. Like, she, she, she's very frugal. She's smarter with money than I am. I, I love buying stupid shit.
0: You buy it all the time.
1: I love it. I absolutely love it. Now, I do also like, you know, saving money, but she's better at it than I am. But she has a very conservative saving model, probably like Brittany, where I want it in my bank account. Oh, if it's not in my bank account, it doesn't exist. Exactly. And and that's how she's always kind of treated it. So I think it's very, you know, funny that you say that. And I have plenty of our listeners think the exact same thing. Like, I need to see the numbers. And if. Yesterday, there was more money in there than there was today. It's a bad idea because savings accounts never go down. You lose purchasing
0: power, but they never go down.
1: (laughs) And that's why I'm kind of breathing out heavily here because Jared already mentioned it. The number doesn't go down,
0: but unfortunately, inflation eats the money. And and can you elaborate what I meant? Because you just kind of played on the, the purchasing power is obviously eradicated from inflation. Can you elaborate on the maybe? So maybe one, get a nice little analogy.
1: Yeah. So the, one of the biggest problems during recessions is people start to pull their money out of investment
0: things vehicles.
1: Yeah. Yeah. They start to say, Hey, I'm not going to send my money to my 401k. I'm going to stop any type of brokerage payments. You know, maybe I have an auto you know transfer to my brokerage for a hundred dollars every paycheck. So Two hundred dollars a month. Great. That's honestly you will be better off than ninety percent of Americans. You think it's only ninety? I don't know. I know. But still, if you do two hundred dollars a month, I know that sounds like not much for let's say the average American. Two hundred dollars a month for 40 years, you will most likely be a millionaire at age sixty-five. Isn't that crazy. But a little
0: overcomplicated. But anyways. But
1: yeah. unfortunately, if you decide to stop doing that and putting two hundred dollars into your savings account, yes, your savings account balance will go up and up and up. And I'm not even going to talk about the interest because you will gain some interest. But one of the biggest challenges with that is let's just say I put $200 in there and now I have $200. And I think all too well right now, we, we realize this as Americans in the last year, $200 when you went to the gas station would buy you 5 tanks of gas 10 tanks of gas whatever your your gas tank is right now that will buy you 3 tanks of gas now you look at that oh it's just gas mm. unfortunately that $200 at the grocery store at the at the place where you buy clothes your energy bill monthly the silent killer of your savings account is actually inflation. The killer of the middle class. 100%. It is something that comes in in the middle of the night, takes some of your money, and you never know what happens. It, it It is really the silent killer. I think a lot of people don't realize it. And how the investment individual or the person that puts their money into a vehicle that earns more than 0.05%, which is what your savings account earns, right? Something that keeps up with inflation. Let's say you put it into an investment that's very conservative, Procter & Gamble, Walmart, right? All these Ford. Blue, blue chips. Even more conservative than blue chips even, right? Things that are like the most conservative that are going to be around for the next 100 years. Companies that have been around longer than Google and Apple, right? These companies that are going to be here for the next 100 years. Coca-Cola, as Warren Buffett would say. You look around your house, what does everybody own on your entire block? They own Windex, they own Coca-Cola, they own LNG or LG, Fridge Air, basic things that everyone will keep on buying. You're not going to get rich, but you're going to keep up with inflation. 5%, 6%. You're going to make sure that your dollar today will be a dollar tomorrow. Purchase power, bingo. And that's the most important thing that I think (sighs) recessions ruin the middle class because people get very, very conservative with their dollars and they start saving more and stop investing. Does that help you out a little bit?
0: Well said. Okay, cool. Well said. I, I think I think you beautifully articulated what purchasing power means and what it means to just see that number in the savings count and then put in real terms that we're all feeling at the company. I'm sorry, at the company, at the gas station right now. To Towards saying, "Hey, two hundred dollars three years ago even would buy that five tanks of gas." Yeah. Now you're lucky if it gets you three. So no, I, I think that was well said. Okay. And, and and guys, I I didn't mean to break it up into a, a man and woman thing. I'm just talking about love my wife to death. But prior to us getting together, she was not an investor. She well, would he, save. She would save all the time, but she's not an investor. And and that's where we're we're still learning together as a couple to talk about purchasing power to talk about. Jared and Brittany, when we're fifty, when we're sixty, when we're seventy. Right? Yeah, I think people have different interests. Yeah, yeah. They can, even if Brittany you, could give a rat's ass. Rat's ass. Yeah, different
1: interest and also different types of like security measures, right? Like, I don't know, how, you're probably different than I am on this one, but like when I leave the house, I forget how important it is to lock doors. Right, I just I I, I kind of assume that people are good. But I also assume that the people that are there can protect themselves kind of thing. It's stupid. I'm dumb. I don't lock doors. I'm sorry, listeners. You guys don't know where I live, luckily. I gave out my address a few episodes ago. (laughs) But I am not a door locker. My wife is a door locker when I'm home, when she's home. Meaning that I get locked out of my own house going through doors because she locks the door after I go outside. So, I think just people you make this point, but people are just different how they believe in security. And and I'm, I know I am using this kind of analogy here of door locking, but I think a savings account is meaning that you are just door locking.
0: Yeah, you are you are very conservative. You are like you are going to make sure the door is locked always because there is zero risk. Because in that stock market, Risky. let's say you have, let's say you have ten thousand dollars. There is a very real possibility if you have ten thousand dollars in your account today, very real possibility this time next November you could have. Eight thousand, very real. Or five years from now, you could have twenty. Bingo, and and so. It's, whereas, if you lock your doors continuously, there's a very real possibility in a savings account five years from now, you could have ten thousand dollars two hundred. Bingo. It's just a <laughs> risk. That- there's a zero percent chance you would have less than ten thousand yeah. dollars. Yeah. So, um, a- actually, it's funny about the locking doors thing because I give Brittany shit about this all the time before we go to bed. So we'll be whether we're reading, whether we're just having a conversation, whether we're watching TV, whatever it is, we're in the living room, dining room, whatever it is. Yeah. Whenever it's time to go to bed, Brittany will literally get her little butt up and go check the front door, make sure it's locked, and go check the garage door to make sure it's shut and then lock the garage door and then we go to bed. Every freaking night. And I laugh Has she she ever convinced you? What? So she ever convinced you to do it? So she's asked me a couple times, like, let's say, let's say I'm brushing your teeth let's say I'm, I'm getting beer. a a beer or something, and we know that's gonna be like our last little nightcap or whatever. She's like, hey, can you make sure it's shut and, and lock it on the way back? Like things like that. Yeah. But I actually she hates when I do this. I dick with her as soon as we lay down, I'm like, is that our garage door opening?
1: You actually say that?
0: So I did until this was the last time I made the joke and this is the last time I made the joke for a reason. <laughs> I literally was forced to get up and go check the fucking garage door. It's funny. It's not, it's not a perfect analogy. <laughs> I wish I was kidding. But yeah, that's hilarious. <laughs>
1: um, okay, so recessions, Jared. So getting into our last 10 minutes here. Yep. There's not really a, let's say, a solve for this because we know the, that they're permanent. Well,
0: well it's actually funny because you and I have both used the word cyclical. Yeah. So you and I also talked about the politicalness. If that's a word, sure. That we've made that, that that different parties have interpreted these what we thought to be irrefutable terms, but <laughs> evidently we've been proven wrong. So is this truly an economic cycle or is there political influence? I I think there's both,
1: right? So I, I think. I think political definitely has an influence on recessions. And, and here's a cool thing. And it's funny because it's very relative right now. We just went through the midterm elections, um, meaning that governors, uh, congressmen, senators, all across the United States were just elected or not elected. Yep. And I think a lot of people got very upset because Elon Musk, Right, who is the owner of Tesla now? Twitter, sorry, Twitter, Twitter, sorry now, and Tesla, and you know, all a bunch of different companies, SpaceX. Really, honestly, let's just say he's the richest man in the world. Technically, probably not really compared to oh, some people.
0: You talk about liquid cash, or no, no, just assets. I'm, I was just mean like there's oh, probably some of those princes and shit. Exactly, the, yeah,
1: yeah. People like in Saudi Arabia and, and and honestly, Vladimir Putin in Russia, they're probably more rich. But let's just say on paper, okay. he's rich. Very rich, let's just be honest. So he sent out a tweet and said, hey, guys. The day of or day before, right? Yeah. Hey, guys. The best political climate is, and this is this is actually, you know, he didn't actually tell you that any party is better. But what he's stating is that the best political climate for the economy, for growth, is a split Congress versus presidential uh, party. And what he means by that is that the the president, whatever party he represents, right now it's President Biden, he's a Democrat, the legislative branch should be Republican. You want to see a split party. You don't want to see all power for Republicans and all power for Democrats. Because what happens there is the market becomes extremely volatile because they know that they can change a lot of things very quickly and what he really meant by that and, and this is something that i i am passionate about i really believe that there should be lots of different parties to share those positions of power because lots of parties mean lots of perspectives and
0: also slower yep slower, slower changes change. exactly and the slower more, less radical changes bingo bingo I, and and honestly guys in full transparency Cody and i are republicans right we tend to side with the republican party on more issues than I? You're speaking for himself because I don't say I am, actually. I, I'd Liar. be more libertarian, yep. but Jared is. Well, I'll get Cody to share a picture of his ballot later. But regardless of what I think, I love the fact that there are checks and balances and those natural checks and balances occur whenever our legislative and executive branches... Differ. Differ. Disagree.
1: 100%. Yeah. And um, the cool thing is, like Chase, J.P. Morgan Chase and Wells Fargo, and Bank of America, there release of a report every year prior to elections. And they essentially say, hey, for the next two years between elections, here is what we forecast the market will be based on the results of the upcoming election. If Democrats win power in Congress, if Republicans win power in the executive branch, And so on. And time over time, all of these reports always state the best case for everybody's wallet, the economy growth, is a split decision. One party has access to the executive branch and the other party has access to the legislative branch, meaning Congress. And what that means is that we're going to see slow change, always in a positive direction because that's kind of how the world works. Love it but the market won't have these ups and downs where they're like, oh my gosh, this is the new president. We don't know what they're going to do. We're going to freak out, and every all of a sudden we go into a recession. So you know, going back to my original statement, Elon Musk says, hey guys, just make sure that we have conflicting powers.
0: Checks and balances. Bingo. Restored. We don't
1: want to make sure that we get to the extremes because conflicting balances, Mm -hmm. right? Branch, branch means that we have conflicting ideas. It's going to be slow road,
0: very manageable. Uh, Truthfully, guys, I don't want an all red government and I don't want an all blue government. 100%. You know, (laughs) Bill Burr, do you know the comedian Bill Burr?
1: Oh, yeah. What do you say?
0: I don't know how old this, I don't know if it was right before the presidential election or right before these midterms, but I saw some stupid reel on he's Instagram. He's a comedian. Yeah, he's a comedian. And I saw some stupid reel or someone sent it to me on Instagram. This was a couple weeks ago. They said, guys, we're arguing about unnecessary shit right now in politics. He goes, let me, let me break it down for you real simple. He goes, Democrats, they want to adopt every single sad puppy in every single orphanage across the country. And Republicans, they want to too, but Republicans are going to think about who the hell's going to take care of the dog, who's going to pick up its shit, who's going to feed it, who's going to wake up with it at night. And I thought that was such a beautiful analogy. And we need both. We need people to want to adopt every puppy and we need people that think about how we're going to feed, take care to feed the puppy and to, to take care of the puppy. You do need both because you need both, hundred percent. Because if you have every pessimistic Republican in the world that thinks always about the negatives and how we're going to take care of the puppy, we're going to be cold, heartless bastards. If we think about the 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 left and that they want to adopt every puppy, every puppy's going to starve because no one can fucking provide for it. Right? You need both.
1: Not only with the puppy starve, but the individual taking care of the puppy might starve you. too, hundred percent. And I that's a such great. A, I think that's a great. It's analogy. such a
0: simple. Simple, and it's obviously a community intake, right? Yeah. But damn it if that's not powerful. You need both. I don't care if you're left, right, middle, groom, whatever, whatever. Whatever, doesn't matter. I, I, I thought that was such an accurate analogy, and I think it promotes Elon's checks and balances. I think it promotes my own thought process where I don't want an all red and I don't want an all blue.
1: So for a recession, yep. is there any way to remove all recessions?
0: Nope. I personally think it's cyclical because a majority... When you say cyclical, what do you mean? I think it's inevitable. I think it's purely just an economic cycle to where every five to 10 years, we are due. Because of our beautiful system with our checks and balances, I do think there are some shitty decisions made into where it's just almost inevitable. But I wouldn't trade those shitty decisions for an all blue or all red. So that's why I actually promote those checks and balances knowing that those shitty decisions are going to occur because I know a lot shittier decisions would occur without them. So because of our beautiful system, I think they're inevitable. So I'm not going to uh, blame a Republican. I'm not going to blame a Democrat. I think they are just an inevitable in a democracy.
1: Inevitable. Now, can you mitigate the cost of a recession? Cause I, I, I would say the cost of recessions
0: there would be costs associated with that.
1: No, no. I'm, I'm, just, I'm saying costs to recessions are sometimes dramatic. Uh-huh. Like in the 2007, people lost their homes. Oh, yeah. It was uprooting for a lot of Americans. The recent pandemic, I would say, was minimal amount of impact, right? Because there was a lot of money kind of floating around.
0: Yep. And- like I said, there's costs associated with limiting the cost. I. Exactly. E, we are experiencing inflation like we haven't in decades. So there are costs associated with mitigating or limiting the cost.
1: Yeah. And so I'm just wondering, during recessions, is there a a way to mitigate the effects to, of it? Because we know that they're going to be cyclical. We know that they're going to, let's just say on average every seven years we're going to get one. Sure. Is there a way to make sure that, that 70, every seven years when we have a recession occur... That it only occurs for, let's say, five quarters, six quarters. Yeah, yeah.
0: How do we do that? God, man, I don't think I've said this term in at least 20 minutes. Financial literacy. I'm sorry, but I want I want someone to battle me on the thought process of nailing down your budget, taking taking a haircut on a couple of those more fun things to buy more in these companies. Because like you said earlier, my type of people, my type of thought process is what steers us out to actually put money back into the companies, to limit these layoffs, to enhance these companies' bottom lines, to enhance these companies' R&D budgets. And of course, you know, I enhance my own bottom line and my own family's future. So I think financial literacy would help limit these.
1: So I'm kind of visualizing right now. Do it. I may be wrong, but I'm visualizing.
0: If you don't agree with me, you're wrong, but.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of visualizing right now A uh, stark, uh, stock price Okay So let's, let's say use you, a hundred bucks Yeah So you see a stock price And you're like Oh my god You know I, I have money in it I invested in it When it was 80 bucks You know Three years ago 80 bucks It's at a hundred bucks now And I see it kind of climbing Over the last You know Two three years I'm already You know I'm making money Love it. And now all of a sudden I see it kind of Going down said you know 92, 93 bucks some Americans might say oh I'm gonna divest I'll make eight bucks twelve bucks make some money that's what happens sometimes during recession especially with investment banks especially with um not investment banks but what's the uh the big investment folks that you know hedge billion fund, dollar funds. Hedge funds yeah hedge funds you know, brokerages, large brokerages, anybody that's going to have, you know, billion dollars that they're manipulating, right? When they have lots of individuals' money. When they see that starting to go down, they're like, hey, you know what? I'm just going to cut my losses and remove that. Okay. There's no way to legislatively. No, and I wouldn't want to. Yeah, me neither. Hell no, actually. Yeah, exactly. But there's no way to really fix that. And really, you know, I think this episode is just like, hey, a gut check. Like, hey, when you see that, When you see it going down and down and down. And this is something that I've been personally contemplating for the last couple of months. Is, you know, do I put more into it or do I put less into it? And if I put less into it, there are multiplying effects to the entire economy. I get Mm it. I am one of millions. But when millions... Stop putting money into it.
0: There are dramatic effects. So you know what's funny? <clears throat> Do I disagree with what you just said? Absolutely not. Okay. How many people just voted in the midterm elections? Uh, millions. Yeah, let's let's say millions of people have voted. In the mid-term. Maybe a hundred million, honestly. Sure, yeah. look, look, but millions. I, I just yeah. want to use your words that you just used. So millions voted. <clears throat> You know how powerful that is in, in an entire country for millions of people rather than just a, a select few yeah. that are kind of determining it? So while you only have, let's just say, you have a couple thousand dollars that you sell those Tesla stocks, you sell those, those mutual funds and index funds, etc. But whenever you start compounding that over dozens of people, hundreds, thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of people, that's where you start gaining equal if not more power over these investment banks, over these hedge funds,
1: so like Robinhood is so, kind of a—you're saying they're a game changer?
0: I think they are massively. I think that's—I think that's probably one of the more disrupting fintechs that we've had in a while, if not ever. They're actually. kind of
1: like the people's investment bank. You that's
0: could, what like, they—that's what they portray themselves to be. But but what I was trying to do with the voting analogy is your vote individually, rounding error at best. But your communities vote collectively has a lot of more weight. Your counties vote collectively has enough weight. So whenever we start thinking micro versus macro, individual investor versus thought process of financial literacy to understand what it means whenever you divest, whenever it starts going down, or the invest when it starts going down, how we can limit these. And that's why I think it's rooted in financial literacy. Because what I'm saying is not some Harvard MBA type theory. This is literally just saying, Holy shit, it was at 100. Now it's at trading at 80. And I can look at any 10-year point in history and I can make money. So am I investing for this money tomorrow? Nope. Okay, check. Now I'm, now I'm buying. So it, it's just kind of an analysis of where you are in life and where, what are your goals. And then once you kind of codify that and make that a little bit more real, realized, yeah. then you can make better decisions. But it, it's rooted in financial literacy because you, you can't make goals I, I guess you technically can make goals but if you don't know how to get there a logical almost linear path and how to reasonably get to your goals well then all they are is just wishes
1: no no I, I think I agree I, I think we're on the same page I think so too yeah, I, I, I just I page. just
0: kind of took your analogy a little bit different
1: yeah no <sighs> recessions are just difficult to. You know, we're talking about this, and, you know, every one of our episodes, we're always trying to, just like, solve
0: some type of yeah, problem. Yeah, if you're king for a day, right?
1: Yeah, and if I was king for a day, you know, as we in this thing right now, if I was king for a day, how do I solve a recession? I personally don't want to solve a recession. No, we need it. I, exactly. I it's think a natural correction.
0: Exactly. People, think, people get a little too cocky. It's no different than a golf swing. Bingo. You get a little too cocky. Exactly. And you start slicing it, and people don't realize that you're slicing it. Uh-huh. I think... I think
1: recessions are kind of like gut checks. Like, oh, hey, man.
0: You you're guys, not
1: that good. You're not that good. You're not that hot. You're not whatever it is. And I think recessions are kind of that nice way for you to say, hey, you know what? Boom. Sorry. Now, it sucks because people lose their jobs. People lose their houses. People lose their retirement. It mm. sucks. Oh, it's horrible. It sucks. It sucks. But it also makes sure that people are not too aggressive. Because the more aggressive you are, let, let's say that you're like extremely aggressive and you're just throwing all your money into you know some small little fund that is the next Tesla. Lucid, for example.
0: <laughs> Rest in peace to that stock.
1: People lost a shit ton on that one. Exactly. So Lucid, the next, you know, electric car company like Tesla. Recessions are essentially lucid market-wide. They're kind of like, hey, you know what? We need to make sure we do this because, you know, when things get a little too hot, it's kind of a, like I said, a gut check. It kind of says, hey, let's make sure people are making good decisions, not uh, decisions based on all money. And so I'm, I'm a fan of recessions. I think, you know, we should have them. I'm not trying to say that we should have them every year. I'm not trying to say they should be permanent. All I think is that, you know, every seven years, yep, we should have a couple of quarters of recession. Unemployment should unfortunately increase slightly. And GDP growth should decline. I think it's a great way to make sure that we don't have markets that are too hot. Which I think is an
0: ugly truth. It's an ugly truth of what it should happen. Yeah, well, well said, man. Well said. Yeah, honestly, if I'm king for a day, I don't eradicate recessions. Um, I do, I challenge our banks and credit unions, whether it's everyone from as, as little as the one branch credit union to as big as the JP Morgans. I do challenge our banks and credit unions to educate their, their customers and members uh, uh, appropriately in order to better turn that negative recession into a positive, but I don't eradicate them because there's opportunity. Yeah. Guys, thanks for the listen. Uh, This was a little less controversial. This is more educational, more, more, more strategy potentially. Um, Thanks for listening. As always, you know, feel free to reach out to at six pack discussions on Instagram If you feel like we maybe missed the mark on a couple points, whether it's this episode or past, or whether you think we're dancing around a topic that we don't want to talk about. (laughs)
1: Later, guys. Thanks, guys. Bye.